Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Today, I am joined by a special guest, Dr. David Bessler, who is the founder and CEO of the Veterinary Emergency Group, or VEG, as they're commonly referred to. And interesting enough, when we first connected, Dr. Bessler shared, really, you're the only veterinary emergency brand in the United States as far as like building out a consistent company culture, but also an experience for anyone that comes into your doors. So I think that's really cool and want to dive into that today. Dr. Bessler, thank you so much for carving out time to come on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I want to start things off and I think people will sense the theme throughout coming around culture and having a passion for what you do and having a very clear vision of what you're trying to build and work towards. But one of the things that you said that really stuck with me and I love and would love to emulate within my own business is the idea of a no drawer you cannot open within veg. Can you share a little bit about what that means and why it's important? Yeah. One of our core values is openness. The other three are togetherness, heroic helping, and meaningful moments. But openness is something that is foundational for me and my personality. I'm an open book. I share my emotions freely. I share my thoughts freely. I have nothing to hide. That's the way I interact with people. And that affected the way that I function as an emergency veterinarian and that I was always very quick to allow my clients to come to the back and watch what I'm doing with their pets. I would bring them over to show them things that I'm doing with their pets so they can really understand what's going on. I just kind of believe that the more open everything is, the fewer secrets there are, then the better off everybody is. We've really brought that core value to every corner of the company, not just in our hospitals in terms of having clients around everywhere all the time, but in our headquarters, which we call veg quarters. It's totally normal for somebody from the finance department to be hanging out with somebody from marketing and for a meeting to start and for that person to say, hey, do you mind if I just sit in on this meeting? And we're like, sure. And I will routinely walk around the office and just sit in on different people's meetings. And lots of us do that. We'll even have people from our front lines, whether they be a veterinary technician or an assistant receptionist or one of our doctors that's visiting our veg quarters will just find themselves suddenly involved in a marketing meeting or a recruiting meeting or HR meeting. I think it's fun for people to see how things work inside the company. And we have, like I said, no secrets. So that's our company culture, openness from the front lines all the way out to headquarters. And you touched on a little bit with the core values, which was something that was very clear and evident in our first conversation. But how did you come to those four? Was it something that you knew early on when you started. So just to give the listeners an idea, you started in 2014 and how many team members did you start with? Was it 12? Yes, we bought one existing hospital that had been around for about 25 years and it had about 12 to 15 employees in 2014. And where are you at today? Today we have 18 hospitals open and about 750 employees. That's mind-blowing growth to think about how quickly things evolve and change. But How do you build and retain a culture when you go from 12 to 750? And how do you try to stay in touch? And I think the openness piece is part of that answer as well. But how have you done that? How do you could retain the relationships that were easy when you could all see each other and now you're in all over the United States? I have an advisor who helps me be a CEO and I'm a veterinarian and never been a CEO before. And he said to me early on, he said, David, you have two jobs. That's culture and growth. And the two are always at odds with one another. And so it is definitely a challenge to grow and still hold on to your culture as you get stretched thinner and thinner. For me, I was the culture carrier. I was the person who 
wrote down our culture, documented our culture, and made sure to spread it to everybody. And now I don't see everybody in our company as often as I'd like to. So I think you started off the question asking about core values and when we knew them. We didn't have core values early on. We really just wrote down our core values this past year. And they never really made sense to me until I read a great article that explained that core values are not created. Core values are discovered. And often they're the core values of the founder or the few first employees of the company. And if you want to know what your core values are, they lie at the base of your best decisions, best practices, the best parts about your company. The core values lie at the bottom of those. And so the best things we did were our open hospital concept, where we don't separate people and their pets, where we have customers in the back watching surgery on their dogs. We love getting together. We love the community that we have. We're a community of emergency people that just love emergency. And we go to hotels together for our retreats and go out a lot together. We like hanging out at conferences. We love being heroes. And we love celebrating these meaningful moments. And those became our core values, togetherness, openness, heroic helping, and meaningful moments because they lie at the core of the best parts about Veg. So our core values really discovered and really only about a year ago and we wrote them down. And now as we're growing, the struggle for me to stay in touch with everybody and keep them connected to those core values and to the rest of our culture becomes harder and harder. What I've started doing is realizing that people's connection to the company doesn't have to be through me. People's connection to the company can be through everybody else in the company. And so one of my missions for this year is connecting all veggies like family. And that means just finding different ways for veggies to keep in touch with each other, whether that be now with COVID, having Zoom parties, we have Zoom discos, we have escape the rooms that we do veg around the world where we just go on tours of different veggies and everybody from the company kind of gets on a Zoom and hangs out together and goes and tours, you know, the veg in Denver or the veg in Fort Worth. And then I also go Zoom in to visit our hospitals and even if the interactions are short, I just have short, really meaningful interactions with our frontlines people. And that's the way that I stay connected to everybody. And I'm just an evangelist and I run around spreading our culture to everybody that I can. Yeah, I love that. And you use the term veggie. And then right before we clicked record, you use the term nerds. Can you kind of walk through how you developed <laughs> and started wanting to use those terms of endearment? Yeah, I would say one thing that we realize a lot of people used to ask us what the catch is about veg that it just seems like the best place to work. And and I tell people that there's a big catch and that emergency is just super hard. Everything else about the company is easy. We try to make it as easy as we can. It's just the hard thing that we can't change that emergency work is hard. And along the same lines, because emergency is so hard, it's kind of our job to make the rest of it fun and enjoyable. And so outside of the veterinary emergency work that we do, we try not to take ourselves too seriously. So anytime we can come up with a pun or just something ridiculous, we do that. One of the most recent things, which I think was maybe a little bit controversial, is we were trying to come up with a name for our program that trains new ER doctors. And we're like, what do we call it? New ER doctors. What do we call them? And all of a sudden it dawned on me, I'm like, new ER doctors, that's nerds. And as soon as it came out, I couldn't unhear it. And now we went with it. And some people were worried that it might be a little bit, I don't know, is it good to call somebody a nerd? I love calling myself a nerd. And most of the people that we ask love to refer to themselves as nerds. And I think it's a great thing to be a nerd. That's how that came up. But we love puns at Veg. Anything not serious, we love. Yeah. And you mentioned the catch, right? And when we chatted a little bit, you talked about veg isn't for everyone. It's not the perfect fit in all sunshine and rainbows, but when is veg not a fit for somebody? And how have you determined that, this, I guess, over time? I think it goes back to our core values. Some people don't know themselves. We tell them our core values when they start. And there are some people who just, they don't enjoy other people. 
when we say togetherness, we don't mean togetherness, just veggies hanging out with veggies, uh, hanging out with your work friends. We mean hanging out with strangers to work in our hospitals. You spend a bunch of time with people you've just met. They're people who hospitalize their pets. We lay out a bunch of blankets and they literally just, you know, some family members sleeping by their pet side for days on end. And you have to enjoy being around those people and getting to know them. And if you don't enjoy that, then veg may not be for you. There's also the core value of openness. A lot of people like having, you know, if I'm going to do surgery on your dog, I want to be alone. I want to do my own thing without having you looking over my shoulder. So that's an issue. We become very close with one another at work. We discuss our family lives, just our culture, which is a very close family culture. And because of that, it's not like there are no secrets and everybody's personal life is open, but the norm is to share your feelings and to share the things you're going through outside of work at work. So if you're not cool with that, then maybe veg is not the right place for you. You have to be the kind of person that really gets a reward from having been somebody's hero. If you see somebody struggling and you don't want to be the person to jump in and save the day, then veg may not be for you. Yeah, and we'll take a quick detour and we'll come back to veg. There's a really interesting story. Can you talk about maybe why you were in Israel and how much time you spent there? We have a family tradition of going to study abroad for a year in Israel. My brothers did it. And so I did it as well. But it was at a weird time in my life where I didn't have an easy high school career. I like sharing this with students. I tell them about how I got kicked out of high school for pulling down my pants in class. That's a true story. But I uh, didn't do well in high school. I managed to get myself kicked out. And then I failed math and chemistry and decided that I couldn't be a veterinarian because I sucked at math and chemistry. And so I figured getting away, going to study in Israel would be a good thing to do. And so I did that. I kind of ran away and found myself in Israel for a year. And then actually my mom passed away while I was in Israel for that year. And so I decided to stay there rather than to come home. And I ended up staying in Israel for a total of five years. And I joined the Israeli army because that's what all the people my age were doing. I like to say that to compete for the girls, I had to join the army. And so I found myself in the special forces and the IDF did that from 1993 to 1996. And it was definitely a unique experience. I learned things about myself that I did not know. One thing in particular that I learned is that I was capable of way more than I had given myself credit for. And that it really sold myself short because of how I did in school. And so my take-home lesson is to not let school tell you what you can and can't do. And after Israel, I came back to the States and went to college here in the States and found that I was actually great at math and chemistry and realized that I could pick up my dream again and become a veterinarian. So the desire to be a veterinarian was always there. It just felt like it was a fading dream when you started seeing bad grades and getting kicked out. I mean, that makes sense that it was probably equally as difficult to get into veterinary school then as it is now. Like it's certainly not something that you just apply and you get accepted. Yeah, it definitely was not easy. I mean, as a kid, I, I always liked animals. And when you're like six and seven years old, you say that you like animals, people tell you, you should become a veterinarian. I also liked art. And so people said, oh, you should draw animals. People come up with these ridiculous careers. I think when I was a teenager, I really knew that I wanted to be a veterinarian. I saw our family veterinarian working and he was a hero to me. And I decided that I wanted to be a vet, but I gave up on that when I didn't do well in high school, which was a shame, but all's well that ends well. Absolutely. And kind of while we're talking about some of the personal things that you did, one of the things that struck me that I really thought was interesting and cool doing a little research prior was what you've done with little vets and kind of the piece as far as going back and working with young kids in New York. Can you share a little bit about why you do that, the impact that you've seen? Yeah. So I've always loved teaching. Actually, I think my first teaching experience was when I was in college, I signed up to teach English as a second language and remedial math, really enjoyed it. And when I was in vet school still, 
I went to the Museum of Natural History, I think, when I was on vacation and wandered around and found this room in the Museum of Natural History in New York that had live animals. It was a teaching room, a classroom. They actually call it the living room because it's one of the only places in the museum where they have living animals. And I just started talking to them. I told them that I'm in vet school and stayed in touch with them. And then after I graduated, when I started working as a vet, they asked me to teach a class for first graders just to teach one lesson. And so I taught this lesson and I loved it. And I guess I was really passionate about it. And they asked me if I could teach another one. And before I knew it, I was teaching these lessons on a regular basis, ended up developing a whole curriculum. And that became part of their science and nature program there. And I guess I'm now known as Dr. Dave. Every Thursday, I teach a class of second graders. I teach them how to be a veterinarian. And at one point, I actually did this on my own. I started an after-school program called Little Vets and was discovered by Sesame Street. And so I ended up on Sesame Street. They put me in a few episodes. I still do it to this day. It's probably the most rewarding part of my week because I like to say there's a 99% chance of amazingness when I work at the museum. Everybody loves what I do. Nobody complains. I see kids walk in there and come out inspired and they ask me questions and hope one day that they will become veterinarians. It's a wonderful thing. Teaching is the most rewarding thing that I do. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And the Sesame Street piece, when I saw that, I was like, that is so cool. And then being able to like watch a quick clip, I'm like, oh, that's really amazing. I think one of the cool things about it too is the amount of kids that you can interact with and allowing them to know like, yeah, you can do this as a career and it'd be a really rewarding career and helping them see themselves in that role long-term is really neat. And you're able to interact with a lot of different types of kids that come from all different backgrounds, which is really, really cool. And I know that there's been a lot of conversations around vet med as far as how do we make the industry itself more diverse or get to kids when they're younger to let them know like this could be a career for you if you have the passion and want to do this, you absolutely can do it. And I think programs like Little Vets and what you're doing certainly helps facilitate that. And it'd be great to see that in other parts of the country too, just as more young kids can see themselves in those roles, they can say, yep, that's what I want to do. I do love animals and maybe they like art too, but they can come be a veterinarian as well. So moving back into the veg world and where you're at today, one of the things that I looked at is just how do you decide on where you're growing? Do you make acquisitions still today like you did for your initial purchase? And what does that look like? How strategic, I guess, are you in looking out to the world as far as where's the next veg hospital going to be? One of the things we realized in the beginning, I mean, certainly that I bought our first hospital, built the second, and then bought the third. And one thing we learned along the way is that what we're doing is so different from what's been done before, and our culture is unique. And because of that, it's difficult for us to take an existing hospital and really have it end up being the way that we would have built a hospital from scratch. Most of our hospitals that we've acquired, we've ended up moving. So because of that, we've really moved away from acquisitions. Also, we find it's a lot easier to build a culture from scratch than it is to change an existing culture. We like to say that the culture is in the walls. So because of that, we've really moved to strictly building hospitals. And the way we figure out where to build them, I think the way that I've come to explain that is I tell people that veg is the best place to go if you're having an emergency with your pet. We say that people pass by bigger and fancier hospitals to come to us because we're going to treat them the way they want. The focused emergency experience is so great that we don't really pay attention to competition. And I know a lot of people say that, but we really don't. So I imagine that there is a veg everywhere that a band might stop on tour. In every big city and every suburb of every big city, there's a veg. And I kind of imagine there's one there already. It just hasn't been built yet. 
And so we don't even look to necessarily build out, you know, if we have one veg in a city, then the next veg has to be somewhere near that veg. Leadership is really important to us. And the leaders at a veg define the culture and help us protect the culture there. So when we find a great leader, we build a veg around them. We've done that lots of times. In fact, I'm sitting in Denver right now and our medical director here, Dr. Carrie Nelson, I ran into her at an IVEX conference and she thought veg was really cool. And I said, well, we should build you a veg. And she's like, well, I live in Denver. And I said, okay, so we'll build a veg in Denver. And she kind of laughed, but sure enough, a couple of years later, we had built her a veg and it's, it's a really successful hospital. And we've done that in several places. We did it in Fort Worth, Texas. We did it in Massachusetts. We're doing it all over California. We did it in Chicago. So I would say certainly we put a veg in every big city and every suburb of every big city, but we also put veggies where we find great leaders. Yeah. I think that is a really intelligent way to grow is find the right person and they can take care of a lot of the issues that might arise if you have the wrong person kind of running that relationship, but also the idea of anywhere that a band might stop on tour. That's a lot of hospitals. That's a lot of places to go be. So that's super exciting to hear the growth. And one of the questions I wanted to follow up with that, and you mentioned a little bit earlier, as far as having someone help you learn about being a CEO. So you went from being the practitioner, the veterinarian to now transitioning out of that role within veg and being the leader and kind of the culture guru, I guess, of making sure that everyone understands these are the key things to make successful and supporting them in their efforts. So how has that transition been for you personally? What have you learned about, again, learning about yourself, just like you did when you were in the special forces and you learned a lot about who you were as a person? So it's hard for me to remember specific times where I, you know, was one person one day and then another person the next. It's really been a gradual process. And I think like most things, I learn most from my mistakes. But I went from being, we literally were a mom and pop business. My wife was an optometrist and I ran the first hospital that I bought. You know, we ran that for a couple of years before we built our second. And going from being the leader of a small business where you do a lot of working in the business to being the CEO of a company, we're not big, we're bigger than we were then. It's certainly a transition, but it's been a gradual one. I would say the biggest lesson that I've learned is the things that people see as the fluffy stuff, the fluffy parts of business, the more philosophical my wife says the spiritual side of business that people tend to discount because you can't put a number to them. You know, there's, you get difficult to measure culture and to measure core values. The things that people see as the spiritual side and discount are actually the most important parts of running a successful business, of creating a revolutionary company. Those are the most important things. A lot of my job is going around explaining that to people, telling them like, I know you're focused on your PL and on EBITDA and on cost of goods sold, and all these fun business terms. But really, the important things are mission, vision, core values, and culture. The way that you learn, you talked about critical mistakes, or just mistakes in general, as far as you're learning from that. I would imagine just as you've seen the growth of the last seven years, you're trying to move fast, break things. There's lessons learned that you probably wish like, mm, wish I would have understood that a little bit better prior to doing that. Anything that sticks out or a story, a memory? Yeah, actually, I don't have to go too far back, really, just this past week. I've been pushing everybody in our company to have a mission and a vision for every project that we're working on. For us, we found a lot of success in having a written down, clear mission and vision for our company and then for our departments. But now every project that we work on in Veg has to have a mission and a vision. 
And I've been pushing people to have that. And what I found is just because people come to you with a mission and a vision for their project doesn't mean that they're going to use that mission and vision to guide their decision making for that project. And that's something that I've always known is true for companies. The reason why people poo-poo mission and vision is because they've worked at companies that had missions and visions that don't actually have much to do with the actual company that they built or run. The mission and the vision say one thing, and the company is something else. But it turns out that's true for individual projects as well. And so just because you have a tool, you have something, doesn't mean that your people are actually using that tool. That's a lesson that I learned. It's things like that that I learn every single week. Other big lessons that stand out are, I think this is a great lesson that I learned from when I had one hospital to when I had many, which is that you have to very carefully hire fast and fire fast. A lot of people talk about hiring slow, firing fast. When you're growing a company really quickly, you have no choice but to hire fast. You can't hire slowly because you're growing really, really quickly. But by the same token, if you're a company that has a culture that's very warm and family oriented, there's a tendency to keep people on because they're part of the family, even if they're not great for their jobs, not a fit for veg. And that's not right for everybody else, not right for the company, and it's not right for these people's coworkers. And so as difficult as it is, you have to really make it very, very clear for people what you expect, what success means, have very clear definitions of success in any job that you have, and set people up to succeed in every way that you possibly can. But as soon as you got a pretty good idea that it's just not going to work out, you have to move on for the good of the company and for the good of everybody else. That was a very tough lesson to learn, but we've learned it over and over again. Hmm. Yeah, I think that is extremely important. And yeah, it's hard. Again, you just talked about all these different things about, you know, we're in this togetherness, openness, meaningful, like key core things. And then it's like, well, you don't want to give up on them. Maybe they'll come around. And then it's just like, well, that was another couple months wasted of just knowing that we should have made that decision before and pulled the ripcord on that. But hopefully then it allows them to go learn from that and find somewhere that maybe they do fit in better and cultures are going to be different and they may find another opportunity that will fit better for them long-term. And that's important too. Yeah, agreed. So what has you excited for 2021? This is just a open-ended, can be personal, professional, veg or non-veg related. I'm excited for our growth. I mean, every time I spoke about our vision, the fight to make our vision come true is what we call the vegolution. And we use it as an analogy, as a revolution, as an analogy to the vegolution. We fight multiple little battles that all sum up to one big, great revolution. And for me, the Vegolution, part of our vision is that Veg is the world's veterinary emergency company. We've revolutionized veterinary emergency and there are Veg's everywhere. That's our dream. And so I'm excited in 2021, we're going to build a lot of new Veg's, bring a lot of Veg's to new communities, make our amazing experience available to large new groups of pet owners. And I'm really excited to see that. By the same token, when we bring Veg to a community, it gives a lot of people who are interested in careers in veterinary emergency an opportunity to have a rewarding career where they go to work every day, they walk into work and they know that today is an opportunity to be an amazing hero alongside some other great people who really enjoy being there too. So for me, ever since we were one hospital, I would wake up every morning and I would say, just to go down the checklist, I would say, are our patients well-served? Are our customers well-served? Are our referring veterinarians well-served? And are our employees, our veggies well-served and happy? And if I check off all those boxes, then I know we're doing great. And so for me, every time we open up a hospital, it's an opportunity to do those things in another location, in another city. And I just love seeing it come true, love seeing the vision come true. So every time we open a veg, it's a step 
closer to the Vegolution. And that's what I'm looking forward to in 2021. We're going to open up a whole bunch more hospitals and get to watch it in action. Yeah. Again, I think the way that you're able to articulate the mission and the story of where you're going helps to align the culture and core values and all those things too. Because if you aren't really sure, hey, this is the path that we're heading down, it's really hard to communicate that with conviction like you just did. So I appreciate that. And I know that a lot of people will as well are trying to understand and say, hey, I'm part of this team. I know where we're going and this is what we're trying to accomplish. And you want everyone on the bus to be working in the same vein into the future. But last question is one that I leave open-ended and it's any questions that you have for me and anything that you'd like to know? I do have a question for you. So I read one of the best books that I read a lot. One of the best books that I read this past year is the biography of Steve Jobs. And in there, they talk a lot about Steve Jobs' infatuation with or his obsession with product, with his products, be it an iPhone or first Macintosh, every little detail about them. And so for you, I'm curious to know, I ask this of a lot of people, I want to know, I think it may be a little bit more obvious for you what your product is, but I want to know like how you think about your product, how you're obsessed with your product and how that shows. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And for me, I would say the product of what we do at Vincere is we help people use money, which is a tool that aligns with their values with a goal of getting them to where work is optional, to where they have the means necessary to go and chase the things they want to do. And sometimes that's work-related and people love work and they'd say, hey, I'd work to 75 as long as my health's good. And others that if they could quit working and doing what they're doing yesterday, they would. So I would say that freedom and optionality to go pursue passions is really ultimately what we sell. If I had to think about what we sell, it's that. That's great. I never thought of freedom as a product, but it certainly is. Do you think that there are different flavors of freedom where one freedom is different from another? Yeah, I think that you can get to the point where maybe you could be free to like not work, not work at all. So let's use the example of someone that has built a fantastic hospital and they get an offer from somebody to buy it and it's more money than they'll ever need. They have complete freedom to do whatever they want, right? Or you could get to the point where you have enough saved where you might still need to work, but you can go work and do the job that you enjoy or start the little business that you wanted to do. That's the hobby. That's the thing that you enjoy, but there is a little income associated with that. You still need to work. So I guess that would be the two different flavors of maybe you could slow down. So maybe it's, hey, I was an owner for a while. I sold and now I just want to do relief work and just work a little bit because you couldn't retire, retire. Maybe that's two different flavors. I don't know. That's a really good question. Yeah. I often think my wife and I, we talk about the question comes up, like, let's say you had a billion dollars. What would you do? Would you work? Would you just travel? Most people I ask just say that they would travel. But I don't know if that would cut it for me. I think I love what I'm doing now. And I think that if I had that second type of freedom that you're talking about, I think I would probably do exactly what I'm doing right now. And I think that's the best kind of freedom. (laughs) I hate to have so much money and not know what I'd want to do with it. So I would definitely buy your freedom. (laughs) The freedom that you're selling, if that's your product, count me in. I'll buy that. Yeah, I love that question. I might have to swipe that, which is steal with integrity and pride and repurpose that for questions for people in the future as far as not even just on the podcast, but just in general. I get so tired and this is just a random tangent, but so many people get tied up with when they meet you for the first time, they're going to ask you, what do you do? Right. And then they associate whatever your job is with who you are. So who is David? Who is Isaiah with their role versus something about who they are as an individual, like what their passions are. So that question's good. I like that. I want to be able to ask 
and get to know people in a different way than what is the traditional back when you think about people that had like host a party and you meet someone there and it's like, oh, hi, I'm so-and-so and this is what I do. I think internally human instinct is you kind of put them in a box and say, yep, that's that person. That's who they are. That's how they act. And I think asking better questions and yours was a really good question. It helps you get to know someone a little bit better. So I appreciate that. Yeah, my pleasure. Steal away. Yeah, but thank you so much for spending the time and carving it out on your trip. And I hope everything in Denver goes well and you have a fantastic trip. But thanks so much for joining the podcast and we'll have to reconnect down the road and hear some updates as well. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much for having me, Isaiah. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review that'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.